0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to get back to our series on the Holy Spirit. Next week. But uh, on Father's Day, I really felt led to share a, a message that's applicable to all of us, but especially to men on this day. Men are um, really at the, the tip of the spear in our, our culture uh, in terms of, uh, of many of the needs in our nation. There is a desperate need for godly. Men. So the principles here are applicable to ladies, girls, all Christians, um, but especially today, I want to talk to men. Guys, I think I'm a little bit loud here. If you can just uh, turn me down a little bit. Um, So we're going to talk about five powerful basics for life today. From 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul here gives us sort of five imperative commands. They're like, he's, he's finishing up the letter to 1 Corinthians, and it's like these five machine gun bursts here of imperative commands at the end of the book. And they're five powerful basics for life. Let's look at them together and then dig into them one by one. 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 13 and 14. God's Word says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today through your word. And and especially to those of us who are men and who have been called uh, to provide uh, godly leadership in the context of, of family. We need your help. We need your strength. We need your word And so would you help us to understand and apply your word now in the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm a sports guy, and a lot of times during uh, games, broadcasters will refer to certain athletes as the, the man. That's the man on that team. And I understand where they're coming from when they say that, but I want you to know athletic prowess does not equal manhood. And um, fathering children does not equal manhood, because you can father children without being a real man. So what does constitute true godly manhood? Well, God's Word tells us that, and we see that in this text as Paul just fires off these five commands at the end of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to dig into each one of them, but before we do, I want to lay a couple of, uh, of layers of groundwork here, okay? First of all, these five commands are basic. They're basic. You know, success in any field comes when we do the basics well over the long haul. The late Dean Smith was the coach of the University of North Carolina's basketball team for many years built a dynasty there. And every day before practice, every Carolina player would find a little note card in their locker that Coach Smith had placed there. And it would contain a thought for the day. And on those cards each day, uh, they would not find some, you know, intricate, uh, complex facet of basketball. The cards would say something like this. Catch the ball every time with two hands. Or hustle after every loose ball. Just basics. But see, Smith knew that if his players were absolutely drilled into basics, then they would have a foundation for success. So these commands are basic. And then second, these commands are succinct and clear. Succinct and clear. Now, Many of us are going to be watching the final round of the U.S. Open golf tournament today. But just because somebody knows how to play golf really well, that doesn't mean that they can teach golf really well. If you've ever tried to play golf and if you've taken many golf lessons, you probably understand there are certain people who can play it well and some people who can teach it well and a few people that can do both of those, but not everybody and maybe you've taken a golf lesson or two and you've emerged from that 30 minutes or 45 minutes uh, and thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm paying this person to confuse me, you know, even more. I mean, I entered into this really confused, but now you're telling me, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you're hopelessly confused um, by the end of the lesson. You know, And I'm paying you to do this uh, to confuse me. By contrast, there are certain teachers like uh, the late Harvey Penick who taught uh, at a, 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 a golf course in Austin, Texas for many, many years. He wrote a book about golf called The Little Red Book. And if you've ever read that, it's filled with these, these succinct and just under, completely understandable, simple, uh, just clear directions, okay, about the game of golf. That's kind of the way that these five commands are. They're very succinct, very clear, very applicable, Okay? Let's dig into them one by one. What does God's Word say to us here um, about five basics for life? First of all, be alert. Be alert. Paul says here, be watchful. Now, the Greek word that is translated as watchful here occurs 22 times in the New Testament, always in the context of instructing us to be spiritually alert and awake as opposed to spiritually uh, drowsy. okay. Be watchful. Be alert. First of all, be alert for the devil. Be alert for the devil. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Same word. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So guys, we have a supernatural enemy... That seeks our destruction. And he is powerful. He's highly intelligent. He is cunning. But he is no match for God. So if we're staying close to the Lord. Nothing to worry about. Satan can't touch us. But if we're not walking in close fellowship with God. Then we're very vulnerable. To the attacks of the evil one. So the issue here. And being alert for the devil is how closely are you walking with God. That's what makes the difference. But we're to be alert for the devil. Second, we're to be alert for temptation. Jesus says in Mark 14, 38, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Dealing with temptation begins by not entering into situations where you're likely to be tempted. Each of us needs to know ourselves. We need to know the, the situations where we're most likely to be tempted and, and not place ourselves in those situations. Proverbs 6.27 wisely says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned?" And so guys, what this is saying is that we're to create margin between ourselves and the fires of temptation. Because just one unguarded moment can destroy a marriage or destroy a family. One unguarded moment can lead to an unethical business decision that would ruin our testimony. One unguarded moment can lead to a moment of temper where words are shot out of our mouths like arrows that we are not able to bring back. Be on guard. You know, as a kid, I loved to go to Arlington and and see the changing of the guard. So impressive. The focus of those guys and their gaze and everything, just straight ahead. Um... And uh, at Buckingham Palace in, in, in London, the, the guys with the, the red and the black furry hats, you know, and tourists try to distract them and whatnot, and they can't do it. I mean, their gaze is just fixed straight ahead, those guards at Buckingham Palace, and you think, hey, this, this place is impregnable. Well, that's what we thought until a, a few years ago when Queen Elizabeth woke up in the middle of the night, and there's this guy sitting at the end of her bed, and it wasn't Prince Philip, okay? Okay. Some loony guy um, had penetrated the security and he was wandering around the palace and there he was wanting to have a conversation with Queen Elizabeth in the middle of the night. See, the guards there, it, it looked impregnable. Okay, it looked impressive. It looked like it was highly guarded. But um, the security was a mile wide and an inch deep. Okay, and there are many men who were like that and they seemed to have it all together. On the outside, looking at their lives, you would think they have it all together. Godly, Christian men. And then something terrible happens and it blows up and you think that happened to Him? Him? Yeah. And and see, here's the thing. We are never more vulnerable to temptation than when we think we're not vulnerable. The scariest place that we can be is the place where we're saying, that could never happen to me. The Bible says this. It says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So, be alert for temptation. Be alert. That's the first command. Second, stand firm in the faith. Paul says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Okay, there's a definite article there. The, the faith. It's what Jude is talking about. In Jude 3, uh, when he tells us to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, there is a body of doctrinal truth. Okay, the truth of God's Word, the truth of the Bible. And it is once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, it is unchanging. It does not change from generation to generation. It is once for all delivered to the saints. And it is the truth. And we are to stand for the truth. Paul, um, uh, in, earlier in this letter, just a chapter before, in 1 Corinthians 15 says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So doctrine is in view here. When he tells us to stand firm in the faith, he's saying stand firm for the truth of God's Word. Now listen, we live in a culture um, where there's a great temptation to minimize doctrine. Now, you know, if we're talking about things that are peripheral, okay, things that, uh, you know, Bible-believing Christians can disagree on, you know, sort of obscure points or peripheral points of theology, that kind of thing, okay, I'm all, I I agree, we should not be arguing about things like that. But when it comes to the essentials of the faith, okay, the the, the things that are clearly taught in Scripture... Let me tell you, um, you know, (laughs) uh, 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 compromising on those things does not lead to unity. It leads to disunity. Okay, true Christian unity comes when we unite around the truth. Okay, and so uh, we live in a culture that wants to minimize doctrine. Second, we live in a culture where everything is open to question. But listen... When something is clearly taught in Scripture, whether it's an issue of doctrine or morality or right or wrong or anything else, when something is clearly taught in Scripture, let me tell you, the question is over. It's not up for debate anymore. Okay? It's, it's an issue of obedience. It's an issue of application. Um, we're to stand firm on that and, and, and not be moved. Now, in a culture like the one that we live in in 21st century America... It's not very popular, is it? Right? We're going to get pressure for standing for the truth. And we need some Shadrachs and some Meshachs and Abednegoes. You remember in Daniel when these three Hebrew guys were told that uh, the music's going to play? King Nebuchadnezzar set up this big idol out on the plain and uh, uh, the music's going to play and uh, everybody's going to bow down. And by the way, if you don't, you are going to get thrown into a blazing furnace. And so the music plays and hundreds of thousands of people bow down and hear these three Hebrew guys standing there. And Nebuchadnezzar says, maybe you didn't hear me correctly the first time. Let's go over this again. Okay? Music plays. Everybody bows. And this time the furnace is going to be seven times hotter. And the music plays again and uh, they don't bow um, And so, but even before then, Nebuchadnezzar says, we're going to do this again. Um, And, you know, you're going to, it's seven times hotter. What are you going to do? So, what do they say? Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What happened? They didn't bow. They were thrown into the furnace, but not a hair of their head was singed. Why? Because there was a fourth man in the furnace with them. Okay? Pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with them in the fire If you stand for the truth of God's Word, there is going to be some pressure. There is going to be some fire. And you're going to need to exercise some faith in the midst of the fire. And the culture is not going to be with you. But someone much greater than the culture will be with you. Okay, Jesus will be with you, and you, we've all got to decide whether or not we're going to live our lives to please our culture or whether we're going to live our lives to please God alone. We need to nail that down in our lives. Stand firm in the faith. Third, act like men. Verse 13 again. Act like men Now. He's not saying here act like men as opposed to women. He's saying act like men as opposed to babies, <laughs> okay? Act like mature men as opposed to immature men because in the context of 1 Corinthians, uh, what has he said earlier in this letter? In chapter, This is from chapter 3, okay, verses 1 through 4. He tells them here, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos," are you not being merely human See, Paul, earlier in the letter, in chapter 3, is referred to the Corinthians as infants. He says, you're, you know, you're supposed to be grown people, you look like adults, but when you open your mouths, a pacifier ought to be insult- inserted. Okay? Because you're acting like babies. You're acting immature, you know, in all of your, uh, your quarreling um, and, and so forth. Um, now listen... Uh, we see this a lot, and I see it especially uh, in, in men in our culture. I see a lot of men. This is the contrast, okay? The contrast here, when he says act like men, it's not act like men as opposed to women. It's act, acting like a mature man as opposed to a man who's acting like an infant, all right? We see a lot of this in our culture today. I mean, yeah, there are just a lot of men who just flat out need to grow up You know, guys who, you know, they're they're leaving their wives and their families. You know, these guys in their 30s, 40s, whatever, midlife crisis, and uh, you know, uh, they say like the former governor of South Carolina, "I found my soulmate," and their soulmate happens to be somebody other than their wife. They say, "Oh, but I'm in love," and I want to say, "Dude, grow up, grow up, man up." You're not breaking up with your junior high or high school girlfriend here. You made covenant promises before God and before people. Grow up! Be a man! Now, you know, Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, which I highly recommend, Keller says that up until like the 1960s, Virtue among men, the, the main virtues that characterized a real man, they were things like self restraint, okay, and self control, and self denial, okay, denying yourself for the, the larger good of a family, the larger good of, of, of children. Okay that was considered to be virtue. Okay our culture has lost a lot of that. And so now we've got a bunch of a bunch of men grown men who ought to have run around they ought to have bibs on and it's all about them. Hey it's all about my self actualization. It's all about me. It's all about my self fulfillment. Friends those are not adult virtues. Okay that mentality is more characteristic of Babies. Okay, Paul here is saying we, we need to grow up. Okay, we, we, need, to, we need to grow to maturity. As he says in Ephesians 4.13, "...until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to what? To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Act like men." Fourth, be strong." Be strong, verse 13, again. When he says here, be strong, literally it says, be strengthened. So the strength is not ours, it's the Lord's, as he says in Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The strength is, is God's strength. Now, this does not imply passivity on our part. Okay, in order to be strong in the Lord, to appropriate God's strength, we're called to be disciplined ourselves. You know, our Haiti team was often with a, a Haitian uh, man on this trip who d- drove us different places and was with us a lot, named Josie. Josie can bench press 450 pounds. We felt really good with Josie around. Um, but you know what? Josie didn't get that way by walking into, into gyms and looking at the barbells and saying, yep, that would probably make somebody strong. He had to pick them up, right? He had to begin to work out. The Bible calls us to work out spiritually. Paul says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 9.25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. We are called as believers to lead disciplined lives, okay, to work out spiritually, okay, to be people of the word and prayer and fellowship uh, with other believers and to be engaging, serving, and engaging in the things that will enable us to grow strong. Be strong. Fifth, let love permeate all you do. He says in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. In other words, let love permeate. All of your relationships, the whole of your life should be characterized by love. You know, even as we stand for the truth, we're to do it in love. I love what John MacArthur says about this. It says, love complements and balances everything else. It is the beautiful, softening principle. It keeps our firmness from becoming hardness and our strength from becoming domineering. It keeps our maturity gentle and considerate. It keeps our right doctrine from becoming obstinate dogmatism and our right living from becoming smug self-righteousness. Now, lack of love was a problem in the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians has what we call the love chapter in chapter 13. Paul does not write this love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 so that we would have something pretty to read at weddings. He is addressing a practical issue in the Corinthian church. And it was this. They were gifted; they had all kinds of things going for them. Um, they had lots of you know, knowledge and spiritual gifts and uh, lots of things were going were going uh, they, had, had, they had going for them, but it was all being undermined. Why lack of love lack of love that 's why he writes the love chapter okay that 's why uh, he puts this. This phrase at at the end of of, of verse fourteen, in verse fourteen, which really kind of it kind of summarizes so much that he's been trying to communicate in the first letter to the Corinthians. Let all that you do be done in love. You know, guys, the, the the quickest way that we can lose the respect of our families is to be one person when we're at church and when we're out in public, and to be another guy behind the closed doors of our home. To be one person in public and then to be unloving in the context of our families. The quickest way that we can undermine our testimony among unbelievers in the community is to be a guy who is religious but mean. (laughs) A guy who is religious, church-going, professes Christ, yet unloving. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, where does love come from? It comes from God, straight from the heart of God. First John four seven says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is what from God." And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And God has shown us his love ultimately in what? In the gospel, right? Just a few verses later, John says, we love because he first loved us. It's understanding the amazing grace that we have been shown in Christ, the love that we have been shown in Christ that enables us to love others. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the incredible love that you have shown us in Jesus. And I pray for every person here, and especially the men, especially fathers, today on Father's Day. We pray that you would help us to to get the love of Christ that you've shown us in the gospel deep within our minds and hearts that we would be men of love Love is permeating all of our conversations and the way that we carry ourselves uh, around uh, people, beginning with our families and and moving out from there. We know that we can't do that alone. We know it comes from you. Love is from God. Uh, We need your help. We need your strength. I pray for any man here today uh, that just needs to turn to you and say, Lord, I need you. I need you we just continue to pray and maybe that would be the, the cry of your heart today just to come before the lord and say lord i need your help i can't do this alone i can't be the man you have called me to be the christian that you call me to be um, on my own I, I, I desperately need you hey here's good news everything necessary has been done jesus died for your sins rose from the dead. He invites you to Himself today. Turn to Him in repentance and faith and He will not turn you away. Maybe that's the need in your life today. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn from trying to do life apart from Him and, and trust that He died for your sins and rose from the dead and give your life to Him today. And He'll come alongside you and fill you with the Spirit. Maybe you're here in uh, a need in your life today. and We're talking about family. Uh, there's a need in your life for a church family. And you need to say, take a stand today and say, I want to I stand with this family. Uh, I want my family to be a part of this uh, family at First Baptist. We would love to, to welcome you um, today. There's a need in your life uh, to, pr- to pray with someone you're invited to come for that so father we give you now this time of decision we pray that you would work and have your way in hearts and lives and families this day we ask it in jesus name amen let's stand together as we sing i hope you've been blessed by this message christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity as someone once said his very own son or daughter just imagine it Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child you say, I love him how can I honor God with the rest of my life? well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them we get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer At Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.